0: Section Twenty Seven of the Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals by Charles Darwin. Chapter Fourteen: Concluding Remarks and Summary, Part Two. In the course of the foregoing remarks and throughout this volume, I have often felt much difficulty about the proper application of the terms will, consciousness, and intention actions which were at first voluntary soon became habit and at last hereditary and may then be performed even in opposition to the will although they often reveal the state of the mind this result was not at first either intended or expected even such words as that certain movements serve as a means of expression are apt to mislead as they imply that this was their primary purpose or object this however seems rarely or never to have been the case the movements having been at first either of some direct use, or the indirect effect of the excited state of the sensorium. An infant may scream either intentionally or instinctively to show that it wants food, but it has no wish or intention to draw its features into the peculiar form which so plainly indicates misery, yet some of the most characteristic expressions exhibited by man are derived from the act of screaming, as has been explained. Although most of our expressive actions are innate or instinctive, as is admitted by every one. It is a different question whether we have any instinctive power of recognizing them. This has generally been assumed to be the case, but the assumption has been strongly controverted by M. Lemoine. Monkeys soon learn to distinguish not only the tones of voice of their masters, but the expression of their faces, as is asserted by a careful observer. Dogs well know the difference between caressing and threatening gestures or tones, and they seem to recognize a compassionate tone, but as far as I can make out, after repeated trials, they do not understand any movement confined to the features, excepting a smile or laugh, and this they appear, at least in some cases, to recognize. This limited amount of knowledge has probably been gained, both by monkeys and dogs, through their associating harsh or kind treatment with our actions, and the knowledge certainly is not instinctive. Children, no doubt, would soon learn the movements of expression in their elders in the same manner as animals learn those of man." moreover when a child cries or laughs he knows in a general manner what he is doing and what he feels so that a very small exertion of reason would tell him what crying or laughing meant in others but the question is do our children acquire their knowledge of expression solely by experience through the power of association and reason as most of the movements of expression must have been gradually acquired afterwards becoming instinctive there seems to be some degree of a priori probability that their recognition would likewise have become instinctive there is at least no greater difficulty in believing this than in admitting that when a female quadruped first bears young she knows the cry of distress of her offspring or than in admitting that many animals instinctively recognize and fear their enemies and of both of these statements there can be no reasonable doubt it is however extremely difficult to prove that our children instinctively recognize any expression i attended to this point in my first-born infant who could not have learned anything by associating with other children and I was convinced that he understood a smile and received pleasure from seeing me, answering it by another, at much too early an age to have learnt anything by experience. When this child was about four months old, I made in his presence many odd noises and strange grimaces, and tried to look savage, but the noises, if not too loud, as well as the grimaces, were all taken as good jokes, and I attributed this at the time to their being preceded or accompanied by smiles. When five months old, he seemed to understand a compassionate expression and tone of voice when a few days over six months his nurse pretended to cry, and I saw that his face instantly assumed a melancholy expression, with corners of the mouth strongly depressed. Now this child could rarely have seen any other children crying, and never a grown-up person crying, and I should doubt whether at so early an age he could have reasoned on the subject. Therefore it seems to me that an innate feeling must have told him that the pretended crying of his nurse expressed grief. and this, through the instinct of sympathy, excited grief in him." M. Lemoine argues that, if man possessed an innate knowledge of expression, authors and artists would not have found it so difficult, as is notoriously the case, to describe and depict the characteristic signs of each particular state of mind. But this does not seem to me a valid argument. We may actually behold the expression changing in an unmistakable manner in a man or animal, and yet be quite unable, as I know from experience, to analyze the nature of the change. In the two photographs given by Duchesne of the same old man, almost every one recognized that the one represented a true and the other a false smile but i have found it very difficult to decide in what the whole manner of difference consists it has often struck me as a curious fact that so many shades of expression are instantly recognized without any conscious process of analysis on our part no one i believe can clearly describe a sullen or sly expression yet many observers are unanimous that these expressions can be recognized in the various races of man almost every one to whom i showed duchenne's photograph of the young man with oblique eyebrows at once declared that it expressed grief or some such feeling yet probably not one of these persons or one out of a thousand persons could beforehand have told anything precise about the obliquity of the eyebrows with their inner ends puckered or about the rectangular furrows on the forehead so it is with many expressions of which i have had practical experience in the trouble requisite in instructing others what points to observe if, then, great ignorance of details does not prevent our recognizing with certainty and promptitude various expressions, I do not see how this ignorance can be advanced as an argument that our knowledge, though vague and general, is not innate. I have endeavored to show in considerable detail that all the chief expressions exhibited by man are the same throughout the world. This fact is interesting, as it affords a new argument in favor of the several races being descended from a single parent stock, which must have been almost completely human in structure and to a large extent in mind— before the period at which the races diverged from each other no doubt similar structures adapted for the same purpose have often been independently acquired through variation and natural selection by distinct species but this view will not explain close similarity between distinct species in a multitude of unimportant details now if we bear in mind the numerous points of structure having no relation to expression in which all the races of man closely agree and then add to them the numerous points some of the highest importance and many of the most trifling value on which the movements of expression directly or indirectly depend it seems to me improbable in the highest degree that so much similarity or rather identity of structure could have been acquired by independent means yet this must have been the case if the races of man are descended from several aboriginally distinct species it is far more probable that the many points of close similarity in the various races are due to inheritance from a single parent form which had already assumed a human character it is a curious though perhaps an idle speculation how early in the long line of our progenitors the various expressive movements now exhibited by man were successively acquired the following remarks will at least serve to recall some of the chief points discussed in this volume we may confidently believe that laughter, as a sign of pleasure or enjoyment, was practiced by our progenitors long before they deserved to be called human. For many kinds of monkeys, when pleased, utter a reiterated sound, clearly analogous to our laughter, often accompanied by vibratory movements of their jaws or lips, with the corners of the mouth drawn backwards and upwards, by the wrinkling of the cheeks, and even the brightening of the eyes. We may likewise infer that fear was expressed from an extremely remote period, in almost the same manner as it is now by man by trembling the erection of the hair cold perspiration pallor widely opened eyes the relaxation of most of the muscles and by the whole body cowering downwards or held motionless suffering if great will from the first have caused screams or groans to be uttered the body to be contorted and the teeth to be ground together but our progenitors will not have exhibited those highly expressive movements of the features which accompany screaming and crying until their circulatory and respiratory organs and the muscles surrounding their eyes had acquired their present structure the shedding of tears appears to have originated through reflex action from the spasmodic contraction of the eyelids together perhaps with the eyeballs becoming gorged with blood during the act of screaming therefore weeping probably came on rather late in the line of our descent and this conclusion agrees with the fact that our nearest allies the anthropomorphous apes do not weep but we must here exercise some caution for as certain monkeys which are not closely related to man weep this habit might have been developed long ago in a sub-branch of the group from which man is derived our early progenitors when suffering from grief or anxiety would not have made their eyebrows oblique or have drawn down the corners of their mouth until they had acquired the habit of endeavouring to restrain their screams the expression therefore of grief and anxiety is eminently human rage will have been expressed at a very early period by threatening or frantic gestures by the reddening of the skin and by glaring eyes but not by frowning for the habit of frowning seems to have been acquired chiefly from the corrugators being the first muscles to contract round the eyes whenever during infancy pain anger or distress is felt and there consequently is a near approach to screaming and partly from a frown serving as a shade in difficult and intent vision. It seems probable that this shading action would not have become habitual until man had assumed a completely upright position, for monkeys do not frown when exposed to a glaring light. Our early progenitors, when enraged, would probably have exposed their teeth more freely than does man, even when giving full vent to his rage, as with the insane." we may also feel almost certain that they would have protruded their lips when sulky or disappointed in a greater degree than is the case with our own children or even with the children of existing savage races our early progenitors when indignant or moderately angry would not have held their hands erect opened their chests squared their shoulders and clenched their fists until they had acquired the ordinary carriage and upright attitude of man and had learnt to fight with their fists or clubs until this period had arrived the antithetical gesture of shrugging the shoulders as a sign of impotence or of patience would not have been developed. From the same reason, astonishment would not then have been expressed by the raising of the arms with open hands and extended fingers. Nor, judging from the actions of monkeys, would astonishment have been exhibited by a widely opened mouth. But the eyes would have been opened and the eyebrows arched. Disgust would have been shown at a very early period by movements round the mouth, like those of vomiting, that is if the view which i have suggested respecting the source of the expression is correct namely that our progenitors had the power and used it of voluntarily and quickly rejecting any food from their stomachs which they disliked but the more refined manner of showing contempt or disdain by lowering the eyelids or turning away the eyes and face as if the despised person were not worth looking at would not probably have been acquired until a much later period of all expressions blushing seems to be the most strictly human yet it is common to all or nearly all the races of man, whether or not any change of colour is visible on their skin. The relaxation of the small arteries of the surface, on which blushing depends, seem to have primarily resulted from earnest attention directed to the appearance of our own persons, especially of our faces, aided by habit, inheritance, and the ready flow of nerve force along accustomed channels, and afterwards to have been extended by the power of association, to self-attention directed to moral conduct." It can hardly be doubted that many animals are capable of appreciating beautiful colours and even forms, as is shown by the pains which the individuals of one sex take in displaying their beauty before those of the opposite sex. But it does not seem possible that any animal, until its mental powers have been developed to an equal or nearly equal degree with those of man, would have closely considered and been sensitive about its own personal appearance. Therefore we may conclude that blushing originated in a very late period, in the long line of our descent from the various facts just alluded to and given in the course of this volume it follows that if the structure of our organs of respiration and circulation had differed only in a slight degree from the state in which they now exist most of our expressions would have been wonderfully different a very slight change in the course of the arteries and veins which run to the head would probably have prevented the blood from accumulating in our eyeballs during violent expiration for this occurs in extremely few quadrupeds in this case we should not have displayed some of our most characteristic expressions if man had breathed water by the aid of external branchiae, although the idea is hardly conceivable, instead of air through his mouth and nostrils, his features would not have expressed his feelings much more efficiently than now do his hands or limbs. Rage and disgust, however, would still have been shown by movements about the lips and mouth, and the eyes would have become brighter or duller according to the state of the circulation. If our ears had remained movable, their movements would have been slightly expressive, as is the case with all the animals which fight with their teeth." and we may infer that our early progenitors thus fought, and we still uncover the canine tooth on one side when we sneer at or defy any one, and we uncover all our teeth when furiously enraged. The movements of expression in the face and body, whatever their origin may have been, are in themselves of much importance for our welfare. They serve as the first means of communication between the mother and her infant. She smiles approval, and thus encourages her child on the right path, or frowns disapproval, we readily perceive sympathy in others by their expression. Our sufferings are thus mitigated and our pleasures increased. And mutual good feeling is thus strengthened. The movements of expression give vividness and energy to our spoken words. They reveal the thoughts and intentions of others more truly than do words, which may be falsified. Whatever amount of truth the so-called science of physiognomy may contain appears to depend, as Holler long ago remarked, on different persons bringing into frequent use different facial muscles, according to their dispositions, the development of these muscles being perhaps thus increased in the lines or furrows on the face due to their habitual contraction being thus rendered deeper and more conspicuous the free expression by outward signs of an emotion intensifies it on the other hand the repression as far as this is possible of all outward signs softens our emotions he who gives way to violent gestures will increase his rage he who does not control the signs of fear will experience fear in a greater degree and he who remains passive when overwhelmed with grief, loses his best chance at recovering elasticity of mind. These results follow partly from the intimate relation which exists between almost all the emotions and their outward manifestations, and partly from the direct influence of exertion on the heart, and consequently on the brain. Even the simulation of an emotion tends to arouse it in our minds. Shakespeare, who from his wonderful knowledge of the human mind ought to be an excellent judge, says, is it not monstrous that this player here, but in a fiction, in a dream of passion, could force his soul so to his own conceit that from her working all his visage waned? Tears in his eyes, distraction in his aspect, a broken voice, and his whole function suiting with forms to his conceit, and all for nothing? Hamlet, Act Two, Scene Two. WE HAVE SEEN THAT THE STUDY OF THEORY OF EXPRESSION CONFIRMS TO A CERTAIN LIMITED EXTENT THE CONCLUSION THAT MAN IS DERIVED FROM SOME LOWER ANIMAL FORM, AND SUPPORTS THE BELIEF OF THE SPECIFIC OR SUBSPECIFIC UNITY OF THE SEVERAL RACES, BUT AS FAR AS MY JUDGMENT SERVES SUCH CONFIRMATION WAS HARDLY NEEDED. WE HAVE ALSO SEEN THAT THE EXPRESSION IN ITSELF, OR THE LANGUAGE OF THE EMOTIONS, AS IT HAS SOMETIMES BEEN CALLED, IS CERTAINLY OF IMPORTANCE FOR THE WELFARE OF MANKIND to understand as far as possible the source or origin of the various expressions, which may be hourly seen on the faces of the men around us, not to mention our domesticated animals, ought to possess much interest for us. From these several causes we may conclude that the philosophy of our subject has well deserved the attention which it has already received from several excellent observers, and that it deserves still further attention, especially from any able physiologist. End of section 27 End of the Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals by Charles Darwin